Onlar özlərin tamam vəxtlərin qoydular Rəsulların yolunda və onlarla rəfaqat eləyirdilər və düzçürək yeyib və ibadət eləyirdilər. Amma tamam insanlar təccüb eləyirdilər ki, bu ayad nəzur Rəsulların əli ilə zuhur olur. Müminlər hamısı bu həm yaşayırdılar və hər nəyi bu həm şərik edilər. Onlar hər nələrini satırdılar və hər kəsin ki ehtiyacı var idi təqsim edirdilər. Onlar hər gün bir ürəhli məbədə yığışıb ibadət edirdilər və öz evlərində yığışıb çörək kəsib və dilxoşda ınan yeyirdilər və Allahı yad edirdilər. Və Allah hər gün o kəslər iki nizah tapırdı, onların cəminə izafə eləyirdi. Amen. Good morning, church. Good. Is it still morning? It's still morning. We're good. What a morning so far, hey? Yeah, that's what I thought. God is good. He is moving and he's speaking. And we are going to invite God to speak through the Bible that we've just heard this morning um, and through a message that I'm just going to share with you for a few moments today as we are continuing our series called Roots and Shoots. Um, but Let me thank Razor for that brilliant reading today. Razor, if you are in the room. Brilliant. Thank you so much for reading the Word of God to us, Razor, in your language. Um, but let me take you back just a couple of seconds before that to our question. What is, or was, if like me, it's been a long time since you've been in school, your favorite subject at school? But like, what was your best one? What were you really good at? Science. 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 English. Any. Maths, French, bonjour, ça va. Any more for any more? Welsh, I should hope you were good at Welsh, Caroline. Any more for any more, Janet? Art, oh, art, good at, good at art, Janet, very creative. Um, it's probably not a surprise to you that my favorite and maybe best was drama. Hey. Um, closely followed by dance, actually. Yeah, do you want to see some moves? Yeah, maybe next time. Um, but my least favorite and my worst was Kemi's favorite, maths. I am rubbish at maths. Me and numbers don't go together very well. This is reflected in how bad my budgets are, if I'm honest quite often get things misunderstood. Um, also, I'm just bad with numbers generally. You know, you, if you go to an event, say if you go to like, I don't know, a party or a concert, and someone says, how many people were there? I have never got a clue. I'm like 5,000, there was 100. I just, um, me and numbers, just, they just, something doesn't click in my brain. We're not very well aligned. And today, I'm gonna try and do the impossible and tackle a maths quiz from the Bible. 
I'll bring you up to speed in just a minute, but let me set you some context because for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Roots and Shoots, where we are reading through a book of the Bible called Acts that's found in the New Testament. And we are looking at where did the early church, the first ever church, where did it begin? And where are we now? What were the roots of the early church? Who was there at the start? We've looked at, in, in week one, we looked at who the church is for. And we looked at how the church is for everybody. For the marginalized, for the curious, for the confused. And then we looked at the impact of the Holy Spirit. Because we, as a church, want to be a church that is led by the Holy Spirit. And then last week, Steve shared with us about the beauty of diversity of the church. And that is a church that we want to be growing in diversity and celebrating each other's differences. And today, um, our passage, as Razor read to us, is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But the verse before that says this. It says, Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 people joined the believers that day. Now, if you were here, I think it was last week, or it might have been the week before, then Steve mentioned that the early church started with about 120 people. So a bit less than in the room today, I think. But truthfully, me and numbers don't know. There could be 500 of you. Who knows? So it started with like 120 people. Steve's just counting, actually, just to double check. But then in that verse, it says, like, almost overnight, 3,000 people were added. Can you imagine if by next Sunday, 3,000 people were added to this church? Friends, we're not meeting here. We're meeting at the range. Have you seen the size of that range over there? Near the pets at home, it's massive. How on earth did something go from like an, a normal number to massive overnight? That seems like the kind of maths I would have done, where I'd have like looked at the crowd and gone, one, two, three, four, five, six, 3,000 and just made it up. And then I think to myself, maybe the disciples were on commission and they got a tenner for every believer. They were absolutely minted at this point. 3,000 times 10 is, yes. Whatever Kemi says is right, because truthfully, I don't really know. So I want to know, how did the early church go from 120 people to over 3,000 people to today, over 2 billion people who follow Jesus and are part of the global church. That, to me, is some crazy maths. And so what we're going to do today is we are going to look at and calculate the growth equation. How did the early church grow with numbers like that? And let me just, in, just tell you today that we're not asking this question from the point of view as we want to grow this church so that we fill all the seats in the world. We want to know how to grow because we are passionate that more and more people hear and know the good news of Jesus. Friends, it's not about bums in seats in this church. It is about lives and souls and people knowing and following a Jesus that we love and that we believe loves them. So today we want to ask the question, how do we grow? How do we grow like the early church did? And here is the growth equation. By the way, this is like my lowest budget prop ever. But I'm just living out a little dream. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Any teachers in the room? 
You're living my dream, Rachel. Is it? I'll stick to my other dream of being a dancer then, but that'll be equally nightmarish. So, here we go. This is my teaching board. I appreciate that at certain angles in the room you can't see it. Hopefully it'll be... There we go. Look at that. The power of technology. This is the growth equation that we learn from the early church in that passage, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is it. It's simple maths. Me plus us plus others plus God equals growth. Me plus us plus others plus God equals growth. It's so simple. But what our passage today shows us is that there was four aspects, four qualities that the early church had that led to incredible growth. And we're going to look at them today. And the first one, obviously, is this, me. Not to make it selfish, but you know, if we want to grow, it starts with me. It starts with each one of us. And it doesn't start with growing in number. You see, growth isn't just about growing bigger as a church. It is about us growing deeper, growing stronger in our own faith as well. Because we will grow when we grow ourselves first. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because they knew that before they could help anybody else, they had to grow themselves. They had to devote themselves to learning about God. They had to devote themselves to scripture, to the Bible. They had to devote themselves to God himself before they could lead or grow anybody else. Because growth starts with us first. And maybe as you think about, yeah, what do I need to grow in? Maybe something that you want to grow in is confidence in praying Or maybe you want to grow in your faith, in believing, like Megan said at the start, that when things aren't good, God still is good. Maybe there's something in you that God wants to grow stronger and deeper. Maybe it is your commitment to to reading the Bible. Maybe you're going to say today, yeah, God, I think you want me to grow in my understanding of the word of God. I wonder what it is that God wants you to grow in first so that you can grow deeper and you can grow stronger before together we grow bigger. So the growth equation, it starts with me. But then secondly, it becomes us. And me becomes us when we do things together. You see, the early church set such a good example of doing things together. In those verses that Razor read to us today, there's, um, if you were to read them later, there's loads of examples that you could highlight or underline, which is what I do in my Bible to like, help me make sense of something, where it says the word together. It says this, that the early church fellowshiped together. They met together. They ate together. They prayed together. They sung together. They worshiped together. And I think that that's because the early church knew that their faith journey probably wouldn't survive on its own because we need each other. We need to do life together. 
We need to grow in our faith together. And me becomes us when we do things together. Do you know what I think togetherness looks like today? I think it looks like our curry night that we had last Sunday at the Anmol with the women. Where a group of women from all different walks of life, all different ages and stages, met together, ate together, and laughed until it hurt together. That's what togetherness looks like in the church today. I think that togetherness looks like us meeting in connect groups, where we just commit to regularly meeting up, maybe every other week or maybe monthly, and we get together, we pray together, we learn together. When things go wrong, we will grieve together. When things go right, we will celebrate together. That's what togetherness can look like in our church today. Togetherness might look like when we take communion, you see someone on their own and you say, let's take it together. Because me becomes us when we do things together. Maybe valuing togetherness will be that you are going to decide that actually you need to share your struggles with someone. Maybe, like we've um, kind of heard through worship this morning, maybe you've got some things that are weighing you down. And you know that it's too much to carry just me. But the good news is that in church, me becomes us when we do things together. So you can share those burdens with somebody else. It says this in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, let's not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but let's encourage one another. And do you know, when we get together like this, or like in connect groups, or like at women's night, or like at pray, or like in so many different ways, when we get together, and when we meet together, it encourages one another. We value togetherness here at FCC, and the early church showed us that there is power in togetherness. And me becomes us when we do things together. Thirdly, the early church shows us that growth involves others. And what the early church was so good at, and Steve spoke about this last week, the early church was so good at embracing otherness. What do we mean by otherness? We mean our differences, the things that are separating me and you, the early church, embraced it. And we want to be a church that embraces others and their otherness. We want to be a church that celebrates our differences because the early church wasn't a group of carbon-copied people who all looked the same, sounded the same, dressed the same, walked the same, talked the same, believed the same, did the same, lived the same. That would just have been really, really boring. But actually, we believe that we, as a church called here in Witness, we have been called to celebrate others, to embrace others, and to embrace our otherness. And you know, this church here at FCC, we will only grow when we embrace others. We will only grow our community and our reach and our ability to spread the good news of Jesus to others if we aren't afraid to go to places that aren't familiar, that we maybe don't know, to people that maybe don't look or walk or talk like us. But the early church showed us that when we embrace others and we embrace otherness, otherness, the gospel of Jesus can spread far and wide. 
And overnight, we can go from 120 to 3,000 people, it said in the Bible, because they embraced each other and their otherness. And you know, it's easy to value togetherness and be us with the people that we like and that we choose and that we love. But what about the people that we don't know? What about people we don't understand or don't relate to or don't live like or talk like? Here's how the Bible says we should treat them because the Bible is full of good advice. This is how we should embrace others. It says we should... Next slide. I think. Is it there? there we go. It says we should love each other. It says we should accept each other. It says we should serve each other, that we should forgive each other, that we should comfort each other, that we should care for each other. And there is about 100 verses in the Bible that tell us how to treat each other and how to treat people that aren't like us. Those are just some examples, but the bottom one is my favorite one that says this. We should show hospitality to each other. That's from the Bible in 1, cha- 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. And then it made me think, well, how is hospitality going to lead to a growing church? How is hospitality going to mean that more and more people get to hear and know and say yes to the good news of Jesus? Because isn't hospitality just showing someone like a fancy dinner or inviting someone round for a meal. The early church, um, they, in our passage today, if you go ahead and read it later on, they actually showed us what hospitality looked like. It looked like this in verse 42. The early church gave food to others who needed it so that no one was hungry. They shared their possessions in verse 45 so that no one was in need. They shared their property so that no one was homeless. They met up together so that no one was lonely. The early church knew how to practice hospitality. Now, as I said at the start, I'm no good at numbers, but I love words. I love understanding words. I love countdown and that call. I love like word origins and things like that. And I've been trying to understand what does hospitality mean and what does it mean for us today? And how do we apply that to our church in order that we may grow? And this is what hospitality means. Um, It's taken from two Greek words, meaning two different things. And hospitality in ancient Greek would have been translated as philozenia. Philo, say it with me. Philozenia. Van, was that a good good Greek accent? Thank you. Thank you very much, Van. Seal of approval, philoxenia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I hope I am. And that means to be a friend to a stranger. And that is what hospitality is, to be a friend to a stranger. You see, by feeding others, the early church were being friends to strangers. By sharing their possessions and by donating money, the early church were being friends to strangers, to those who were in need. And I wonder what it'll look like for us today, here at FCC, to be friends to strangers. I heard this quote, and I I don't know who said it, so I apologize. And it says this, Christian hospitality, it isn't a dinner party with people just like you. It is being prepared to be inconvenienced in spending time with people not like you.
And I've been thinking about that and thinking, am I willing to be inconvenienced to show hospitality to people not like me? Because embracing others and embracing their otherness and their differences is going to, at times, be inconvenient. It might not fit with our schedule or our preferences. Now, a quick disclaimer, it should always be safe. I'm not saying that, um, go and be friends with all strangers, get in a car with anybody, follow anybody anywhere. Not saying that, not saying that, but I am saying, as we commit to being friends to strangers, sometimes it's gonna be inconvenient. Sometimes it's gonna push us out of our comfort zones as we show hospitality to people not like us. Um, this will probably embarrass him me telling this story but I learned this example from my dad when I was in school <laughs> he's like oh no um because I as I said was in quite a lot of like did a lot of musical theatre in school so was often in shows in the evenings and stuff like that there was lots of events and concerts going on um, and just to set some context my school was let's say here and we lived just around the corner from school here you could walk there in about five minutes. But I had a friend who was also in these shows with me who lived in Manchester that was about a 40-minute drive away. And her, she had a single mum who didn't drive. And so although it took five minutes for me to walk home, it took my friend two trains and one bus to get home. And I just have always remembered this one night after he probably had a long day at work and came to watch one of my terrible shows, and instead of just nipping home with me for five minutes, he said to my friend and her mum, we'll nip you home, it's no problem. There was no nipping home. A 40 minute journey that way to come a 40 minute journey this way when we lived here. But you know what my dad knew? He was willing to be inconvenienced to show friendship and love to someone who was a stranger to him, but was a friend to me. And as he did that, he will have helped my friend and her mum in ways that they will have never, that he will have never fully understood. Because he was willing to be inconvenienced to show hospitality to someone, to be a friend to a stranger. Out of interest, is it too early to mention the nine letter C word? Are you sure? Quick show of hands. Show of hands if it's too early to talk about Christmas. How many days? It's only 78 days, guys. Get your hands down. Okay. The C word. You see, the thing is, it's never too early here because we um, start talking about Christmas in January. Christmas is eternal and ever long, so therefore, it's never too early. Um, but we were talking about it in one of our um, team meetings recently. We were talking about events and services, and then as we thought about it and talked about it, our hearts actually became really heavy. As we started to think about the amount of people who, this Christmas, it would be really tough, because they're going to be on their own. For people who are widowed, for people who are single, for people who have arrived in this country and who their family is back at home. And for people who have been relocated into this town and don't know anyone, 
they might be spending Christmas alone. And as we kind of chatted and sat with heavy hearts, thinking, how do we show hospitality to people? How do we make sure that in this time, when we know there is so many people going to be on their own, like, what do we do? And we started to dream and believe and pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to inconvenience people. And today, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to plant a seed and an idea. And he wants to inconvenience some people's Christmas plans this year. And that feels really niche to say in October when Christmas is 78 days away. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to start to stir someone's heart. And he's going to start to say, yeah, I want to be a friend to a stranger this year. I am willing for my plans to be inconvenienced, to be changed. And maybe as you say yes to practicing hospitality and to be an inconvenience to show love and friendship to a stranger, maybe it means that you might decide, I want to cook a meal for someone. Maybe you're going to decide that I'm going to invite someone to spend Christmas in the madness of my house. Maybe you're going to arrange to spend time or meet people over the Christmas period because you don't want people to be alone. Because you know that when we grow, we grow together. That we embrace others. That we leave no one behind. That we leave no one on their own. And that even if we don't do Christmas like them, we are willing to be inconvenienced to be friends to strangers. Because as much as Christmas here is about our events and our services, we just believe that what if all 130, however many of us, took this idea of being friends to strangers and took it back to our communities? What if we did that? Then how many people could we reach with the good news and the friendship of Jesus? So as a church, we want to be a church that embraces others that is willing to be inconvenienced to be a friend to a stranger. And lastly, the final thing that the early church did is that in every single decision they made and every plan they made and every dream that they dreamed up and every conversation they had and every action, they were rooted firmly in God. The early church were rooted in God and we want to be a church that grows ourselves that does things together, that embraces others, but that in everything we do, we are rooted in God and in his goodness, that we look to him when things are hard and that we thank him when things go well, that we celebrate with him, that we weep with him, that we keep everything for him and everything about him because we are rooted in God. The early church knew that they had a part to play that they had to do things together, they had to embrace others, but they had to keep God front and center of everything that they did. That is how we will grow as a church. That is how we will grow as a community. That's how the church went from a group of people thousands of years ago to over two billion people today because they kept it all about God. Do you want to stand with me? Yeah, go on. Treat yourself to a little leg stretch if you want to. Um, what time is it? Yeah, go on, band. Sing us home.
Let me just ask you to just think about... Sorry, Mum, should we move this? Yeah, to me, to you. Nice. Let me just ask you a few questions for you to think about. The first one is, what do you, what do I need to grow in? To grow deeper and to grow stronger with God. Maybe you want to grow in worship and in prayer and in faith. Today, let me encourage you to commit to something with God, to commit to growing in one aspect of your faith journey. Or if you don't yet know Jesus, maybe you're just going to say, I'm going to get to know him. I'm going to do some asking and some learning. The second question is, am I trying to do life alone? And do I need to join in with somebody else to turn me into us by doing this life thing together with someone? Thirdly, I wonder if you could just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, do you want to inconvenience me? Will you open my eyes to someone who's currently a stranger, but who you want to make a friend? And lastly, let's just ask God. God, how do I make sure that everything I do, every decision I make is rooted in Jesus, in Christ alone, in our cornerstone, in our good, good God, in our God who will never let us down, who will never turn his back on us, because Jesus is all about you. We love you and we desperately want people in our lives and in our town and in our communities and in our workplaces to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.